You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hi, I'm Annie from Massachusetts in the USA. And I'm Johanna from Austria. (laughs) And you are listening to Fresh Hell, your favorite international podcast. Yeah, if this is your first time listening to us, welcome. We're very glad to have you. We are two women from different continents who never met in real life and who really like to talk about all those horrible, weird, and fascinating stories out there. Yes, and we do have opinions. We sometimes swear, and we are not (laughs) capable of pronouncing the letters W and W correctly. Well, at least one of us isn't (laughs) capable of doing that. It cracks me up when our Hellions write us messages or reviews and they mix up the two letters. I love it. Keep it coming. (laughs) I love it. But we do both sometimes struggle with the correct pronunciation of names and locations. So if you can live with that, herzlich willkommen. (laughs) Yeah. So once more, we have just a small correction to make. In our last episode about the Empire State Building, I said that the plane that crashed into the Empire State Building was a B-52, and it was not. It was, of course, a B-25. The B-52 is much larger, but wasn't in operation yet. I think I was thinking of the B-52s, the band. (laughs) When I hear B-52, I think of the... Shot. Yeah, me too. (laughs) The last thing I think of is the third thing is plane. It's like band, shot, plane. But yeah, thanks to William for catching the mix-up and sending us a message. We really appreciate that. Yes, thank you. All right, this week we want to talk about a case that took place in the 1930s on an island called Floriana. The only warning to our listeners that I can think of right now is that we will be mentioning domestic violence. Mm. Also, this story is absolute bonkers in many ways, and while researching and reading and watching the videos that are available, we realized that we need to make this a two-parter to try and do it justice. So in this episode, nothing too bad happens, but we need to tell you everything that went on before the tragedy. Of course, and if you've listened to us before, then you already know that first of all, we're going to give you some background information. So let's start by talking about Floriana, an island of the Galapagos Is it archipelago or archipelago? I feel like we've been through this before and I'm still not sure. We've been through this like three times. So this is a group of volcanic islands and it is located on both sides of the equator in the Pacific Ocean, roughly 900 kilometers or 560 miles west of continental Ecuador, which they are a part of. It's in total, it's got 21 islands and the census from 2010 tells us that 25,000 people were living on the islands, which have a total land mass of 7,800 80 kilometers squared or 3,040 square miles. So that makes the population density three people per square kilometer. I like that population density. That sounds great to me. (laughs) (laughs) So Puerto Bagariso Moreno is the capital of Galapagos, as well as the island it's located on, which is San Cristobal. The biggest island is Isabella with an area of 4,640 kilometers squared or 1,790 square miles. The highest point of the Galapagos Islands is also located on Isabella. It's Volcan Wolf with a height of 1,007 meters or 5,600 feet. As the islands are located at the equator, you would think that it's very hot and humid 
humid there, but because of the cold water that's brought past the islands with the Humboldt current from June to November, it can often drizzle, the land is swallowed by fog, and cold winds will blow. The other half of the year, it's sunny and warm, no winds, and heavy rains pass very quickly. So, of course, for me, the most important part of the, you know, archipelago is the wildlife. And we will find there the Galapagos giant tortoise. I think the tortoise is the most famous, right? Everybody knows about Galapagos tortoises. Yeah. And the finches. And the finches, yes, of course. But they have different kinds of iguanas. There's a Galapagos penguin. There's a blue-footed booby. I had to once write a paper in Spanish about the blue-footed booby. Mrs. Esperson, Senora Esperson, who I'm still friendly with, my high school Spanish teacher, passed out like um, it was like trading cards with wild animals on, and we each had to pick one and, and then write a report in Spanish on it, and I got the blue-footed booby. So, yeah. They also have the only living kind of tropical albatross called the waved albatross, and they've also got the Galapagos hawk, the Galapagos mockingbirds, the Galapagos sea lions. There are just too many wonderful and rare animals, many of them endemic, so meaning they're only found on Galapagos. And each island even has their own variation of species. And actually, the archipelago is extremely important for Charles Darwin and his book on the origin of species by means of natural selection. Darwin had traveled the world on the famous second voyage of the HMS Beagle to study different species. Before he started his travels, he was convinced of the immutability of species, that they could never change. But then he came to Galapagos in the fall of 1835 and realized that each island had their own variation of finches that had completely adapted to their environment. He realized that species could indeed adapt and evolve over time. The finches of the Galapagos Islands are still commonly referred to as Darwin finches. If you are into any form of watching wildlife from a close distance, then the Galapagos Archipelago is definitely something for you. The animals there don't see humans as a threat, and therefore they can get really close. This is like it's my dream. Galapagos is so high on the list. I just want wild animals to climb on me and make me feel like Snow White. It's all I want in life. It's fine. But of course, you are under no circumstances allowed to ever touch or feed the animals. And nowadays, 97% of the area of the Galapagos Islands has been declared a national park, which is great. This was established in 1959 on the centennial of the publication of Darwin's book on the origin of the species. So we mentioned before that the island of interest for this case is the island of Floriana, with 173 kilometers squared, or 67 square miles. It's one of the smaller islands of the archipelago. It's named after the first president of Ecuador, Juan José Flores. It's rather flat, with the highest point being the inactive volcano Cerro Pajas, with 640 meters or 2,100 feet. Attempts to use the island as a penal colony or to get people to settle there and breed livestock were never successful. The island is not what you would imagine. Uh, Not all of the islands are a lush tropical paradise. The beaches are partly sandy, partly black lava stone, and only more inland is there dense vegetation. Also, there are some caves that were used by pirates as a hideout. All in all, it's not the harshest, but it's also not the most welcoming environment. Over decades, Floriana was always popular with ships who passed by, especially whalers, because they could find fresh water and food for supplies. In 1820, back then it was still known as Charles Island, the Nantucket whaling ship the Essex stopped by Floriana. Of course, the Essex has a fascinating and macabre history of its own. I love Nantucket, and the story of the Essex is on my list. But we're going to just focus on the Floriana aspect of the Essex. So in October 1820, the Essex stopped by Floriana so they could stop up 
up on fresh water and food, and they captured 60 giant tortoises. Now, they had already captured over 300 giant tortoises on other islands, and they allowed some of the tortoises to walk around the ship, but most were kept in crates, without food or water, I might add, because there was a common misbelief at the time that tortoises could survive for over a year without needing to eat or drink. Of course, this isn't true, and the poor tortoises were slowly starving or dying of thirst, which is just fucking horrific. Mm. Yeah. So the members of the whale ship Essex, they're on Floriana, they're hunting more tortoises, and one crew member named Thomas Chapel has the great idea to start a prank fire, because what better prank is there than arson on a remote island during dry season? Who are these people? Seriously, what's even the prank in that? I know. What what other prank did they pull, like punching someone in the face? That's not a prank. It's not a prank to start a fire. It's a prank to say there's a fire and there's none. It's not a prank. Have you ever seen New Girl? The show New Girl? Uh, just one episode. Oh, you should watch it. It's really funny. But one of the characters on it, Winston, his whole, one of his aspects of his storyline is he can't prank people. Like, everything he does, it's not funny. And it, like, it ends up with his friends, like, going to prison or, it's like, he takes it too far. <laughs> he doesn't know how to prank people. And it, it's all I can think about. It's, I can't imagine starting a fire as a prank. So... Uh, Of course, the fire was out of control pretty quickly. It surrounded the hunting men, and they had to run through the fire to make it back to the shore. When they can finally return to the ship, almost the entire island is ablaze. The whole crew is super upset, and the captain swears to severely punish the responsible person. Thomas, of course, stays quiet. He doesn't want to get whipped. I think he only admitted to it way later, which is how we even know it was him. So they watched the island burn for a whole day, and the next day they set sail and off they went. And after a whole day of sailing, they could still see the fire illuminating the horizon at night. So this must have been just an absolutely horrific fire. Years later, a former crew member of the Essex returned to Floriana and said that all he found was blackened wasteland. He noticed that, quote, neither trees, shrubbery, nor grass have since appeared, end quote. It's also possible that this fire was the reason for the extinction of the Floriana Island tortoise and the Floriana Mockingbird. Uh, fuck you, Thomas. Right? Seriously, but don't worry. The men on board Essex did not have what anyone would consider a happy ending. Melville's Moby Dick is based on the whale ship Essex. Did you know that there is a legend on the Galapagos? It says that the giant tortoise can read your mind and they know your intentions. And if your intentions on the island are bad, they curse you. And maybe the crew of the Essex, uh, they've been hit by the tortoise curse. Well, I hope so. I'm rooting for the tortoise. I hope they kill everyone. (laughs) Yeah, but I have one more fact about Floriana that I absolutely love, and that is the so-called Post Office Bay. Because Floriana was so popular with whaling ships that at the end of the 18th century they had brought a wooden barrel on the island. It was used as a mailbox. Crew members would place their letters in there, and other ships that passed by would pick the mail up and take them with them. This tradition still exists today. Travelers can place a letter in the barrel at the post office bay, no stamp needed, and they can also look through the letters. If they find a letter that has to go in the same direction that they do, they'll take it with them and see it gets delivered. I think it's awesome. It shows how people can come up with real simple solutions for problems if they all work together. I know. I love it. All right. Now you have a bit of background information on the Galapagos Islands and Floriana. And I'd say it's time to get into the case, and for that we have to jump not only in time, but also in space. So we are going to Berlin in the late 1920s. 
the last years of the golden 20s. Berlin is the biggest city in Europe. In 1924, the hyperinflation could be stopped. Uh, we briefly talked about the hyperinflation in our episode about Fritz Hamann. And most of Europe is finally experiencing an economical recovery after those years full of deprivation that followed World War One. And Berlin was the center of this very optimistic and pretty decadent new lifestyle. Cinemas and variety theaters are opening, as well as bars, nightclubs, restaurants, ballrooms. Women cut their hair, shorten the length of their skirts and dresses, and they get rid of the corset. The modern woman is enjoying more freedom than ever, and also LGBT rights take their first baby steps in those years. There are approximately 170 LGBT bars and clubs, and people don't have to hide anymore. There are hotels, beauty salons, bookstores, and even photo studios uh, who are trying to win over the new homosexual clientele. And everyone, no matter if gay, lesbian, bi, or heterosexual, they all love to go to the El Dorado, which is famous for its drag show. I mean, nowadays, of course, we can also criticize places like the El Dorado for putting LGBT people on display and making money off of them. But we can't deny that this decade was freer and more frivolous and more open than those centuries before. But of course, doom was already on the horizon, and we all know that all this would come to an end, first of all, because of the Great Depression, and then because of Hitler coming into power. Hour. Just watch Cabaret. <laughs> yes, exactly. Watch Cabaret. The person who wrote Cabaret was actually living in Berlin at the time and he wrote about his own experiences, basically. Yeah. We also don't want to romanticize the 20s. I mean, it's still no, it was a hard it's, time. It's Yeah, it yeah. was definitely a hard time. But for now, it's still a roaring 20s and a man named Dr. Friedrich Ritter runs a practice in Berlin. This part has me a little bit confused, to be honest. So some sources say he was a dentist and others say he was a general practitioner. I'm not 100% certain what's true, but I read that he had studied medicine as well as dental medicine. And my guess is that he just practiced both. Mm. Also, maybe there was not that big of a distinction in the 1920s. Yeah, Who knows? I'm not sure that they really had the most advanced dentistry practices yeah. back then. More on that later. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna get pretty interesting. <laughs> Friedrich Ritter was born on 24th of May 1886. Uh, he was the son of the mayor in Wolbach, which is a small town in Bavaria, and he had studied in Munich, uh, Heidelberg and Freiburg. Friedrich was a fan of another German Friedrich, the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. The Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy describes Nietzsche as follows, quote, Nietzsche spoke of the death of God and foresaw the dissolution of traditional religion and metaphysics. Some interpreters of Nietzsche believe he embraced nihilism, rejected philosophical reasoning, and promoted a literary exploration of the human condition while not being concerned with gaining truth and knowledge in the traditional sense of those terms. However, other interpreters of Nietzsche say that in attempting to counteract the predicted rise of nihilism, he was engaged in a positive program to reaffirm life and so he called for a radical, naturalistic rethinking of the nature of human existence, knowledge and morality. On either interpretation, it is agreed that he suggested a plan for, quote, becoming what one is, end quote, through the cultivation of instincts and various cognitive faculties, a plan that requires constant struggle with one's psychological and intellectual inheritances. Nietzsche claimed the exemplary human being must craft his or her own identity through self-realization and do so without relying on anything transcending that life, 
such as God or a soul. This way of living should be affirmed even were one to adopt most problematically a radical vision of eternity, one suggesting the, quote, eternal recurrence, end quote, of all events. According to some commentators, Nietzsche advanced a cosmological theory of will to power, but others interpret him as not being overly concerned with working out a general cosmology. Questions regarding the coherence of Nietzsche's views, questions such as whether these views could be all taken together without contradiction, whether readers should discredit any particular view is proven incoherent or incompatible with others, and the like continue to draw the attention of contemporary intellectual historians and philosophers. End quote. He sounds fun. So much fun. So fun. So Friedrich Ritter was tired of modern society. He was what we would probably call a misanthropist. And mm -hmm. he too wanted to craft his own identity, wanted to lead a free and autonomous life far from the materialistic society. He was convinced that a man far from civilization and untainted from things like luxury clothing and meat consumation could live to the ripe age of 140. <laughs> yeah. If there's one thing this podcast has taught us, it's definitely that the poorer, hungrier, and more miserable you are, the longer you'll live. That's science. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or the more of an evil bastard you are, uh, unless so someone gets rid of you, like, you know, Joffrey style. <laughs> I saw a bumper sticker once that said, the more you complain, the longer God makes you live. That's true. It is. <laughs> so one day a woman stepped foot in his practice, a teacher with the name Dore Körwin, who is 14 years younger than Friedrich, and she is suffering from multiple sclerosis and is trying to find a doctor who can help her with her pain and symptoms. For those of you who don't know or are not completely sure what multiple sclerosis is, it's an autoimmune disease of the brain and spinal cord which can cause permanent damage to the nervous system or the complete deterioration of nerves. So some of the symptoms can be fatigue, vision problems, numbness and tingling, muscle spasms, stiffness and weakness, mobility problems, pain, difficulty with thinking, learning, and planning, depression and anxiety, sexual problems, bladder problems, bowel problems, and speech and swallowing difficulties. MayoClinic.org says this about MS, quote, signs and symptoms of MS vary widely and depend on the amount of nerve damage and which nerves are affected. Some people with severe MS may lose the ability to walk independently or at all while others may experience long periods of remission without any new symptoms. There's no cure for multiple sclerosis. However, treatments can help speed recovery from attacks, modify the course of the disease, and manage symptoms, end quote. Shout out to our listeners with MS. I think we've got a pretty solid autoimmune listenership. Mm. And uh, yeah, I think a lot of us in the autoimmune community are into murder because our own bodies are always trying to kill us. So constant vigilance, friends. But yeah, in the, uh, in the 1920s, your treatment options were mostly poison or our old favorite, malaria therapy. So yeah, you were pretty forked before steroids came on the scene in the 1950s, I think. Yeah, yeah. So Duare had been to several doctors already before she met Friedrich Ritter, and he was nothing like her other doctors. He told her that she has to fight her illness by pure willpower, that the power of her thoughts could help her to defeat the symptoms, and he also tells her about his plans to live civilization and to settle on some isolated corner of the world to prove to everyone that survival is indeed only for the ones with most willpower. <laughs> <laughs> He's lovely. 
Yes. Dora was absolutely fascinated by Friedrich. She despised her life in Germany, but for a little bit other reasons, the idea of leading the, in her opinion, boring and bourgeois life of a German housewife made her sick. She wanted adventure, she wanted a life full of highly intellectual conversations, philosophy and scholarly thoughts. So she told her husband she was leaving, she changed her name back to her maiden name Strauch uh, and was ready to follow her master, hero and idol Friedrich wherever he would go. And Friedrich too, he told his wife they were leaving, he didn't feel bad about it, he didn't have time for such mundane thoughts of course. Then he sold his practice, he pulled out his teeth <laughs> as a precautionary measure because yeah, you really don't want to suffer from toothache on an isolated island. No, you really don't <laughs> want that. Just yank them all out as a precaution. Who are these people? But this is one of the things we learned watching Castaway, right? You got to take care of your teeth in case you get stranded on a remote island. And then you have to use ice skates to knock your own freaking teeth out. Yep. It's, yeah, I don't yeah, like the yeah. teeth bit. Mm. So uh, he pulled his teeth. Uh, he sold everything. Both got divorced. And <laughs> off they went. <laughs> Can we raise a glass to the bullet that the first Mrs. Ritter and Mr. whatever his name was dodged by yeah, yeah, getting yeah, rid yeah. of these two? Oh. So as their destination, they chose, you guessed it, the Galapagos Archipelago. <laughs> what did you say? Archipelago, I right? I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> We're going to get it so long reviews. Ago. Johanna can't pronounce Archipelago. 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 Maybe. I'm sure it Archipelago. was like that. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure of anything anymore. <laughs> and on 4th of July 1929, they board a ship in Amsterdam that will take them to Ecuador. Four weeks it will take them to arrive in Guayaquil, or as the official name is, Santiago de Guayaquil. It's the second largest city in Ecuador and the country's main port. So it makes sense that they went there, right? There they are trying to find a schooner that can take them to the Galapagos Islands, but they will need to wait for a whole month before... The only schooner that does the trip will leave. Finally, they are once more on board and they are heading towards their own secluded paradise. They pass by San Cristobal, of course, because there already exists an Ecuadorian settlement. They also don't want to settle on the island Santa Cruz because they can see a dozen or so houses that belong to European settlers. Their destination is Floriana. The small, uninhabited island, and once they get there, their closest neighbor will be 100 kilometers or 62 miles away. Heaven for them. They set foot on Floriana on 19th of September 1929, and when a schooner leaves, they are finally alone. So even though the shoreline with its black lava rocks and thorny shrubs isn't terribly inviting, they couldn't be happier. They make their way inland, and after about an hour hike, they find a sweet water spring. This will be the perfect place for their future settlement. Their dream of living like Adam and Eve is near. So they get to work. First of all, they need to clear out the land to plant the seeds they brought with them. Friedrich and Dora work their butts off to create their home, the settlement that they call Frito, with a D, not mm -hmm. a T like the chips. It's a combination <laughs> of both of their names. But Dory's illness makes her body hurt. She is weak and can't work as hard as Friedrich, who she still admires for his body and soul. Maybe just not his smile. She loves him. 
no teeth and everything. Friedrich, on the other hand, he's annoyed by her now. He reminds her constantly that Nietzsche says, quote, life means to suffer. Survival means to give meaning to the suffering, end quote. This fucking guy. So he also had imagined his life on the island a little bit differently. He really wanted to fill his days with philosophy and writing, but he had to cut wood, dig soil, and construct pipes. In their little spare time, he does write and think and pays barely any attention to Dory. She complains to him about this, and in letters to her family and friends back home. She needs attention, friendly words, and some signs of affection. A hug, a kiss, something. Is too busy, too busy with his philosophical, his philosophical work and his very important writings. <laughs> and he was probably not that into showing affection anyway. I get the impression that he wasn't the most, um... Tender. Yeah, tender. So, Dora gives all the love that she has to the animals on the island, to her donkey in particular. Friedrich, of course, is very disappointed in her for being affectionate with the animals and bonding with them. It's a sign of weakness for him, and, uh, yeah, Friedrich would hate me. Fuck you, Friedrich. <laughs> right? What does he know? <laughs> Not dentistry, that's for fucking sure. <laughs> He must have been a, I think he must have been a general practitioner if she went to him for MS, because who goes to a dentist for MS, especially at that time? Yeah, I think he was maybe a general practitioner who also, yeah. you know, had a side hustle. <laughs> well, apparently they didn't pack any toothbrushes, so Dory's teeth start to rot, and Friedrich, <laughs> thank God he was there, he pulls them all out with gardening tools. Ugh. So many questions that I don't want to know the answer to. But yeah, he pulled all of her teeth out with gardening tools, and rumor has it that they then both shared the same dentures. Steel dentures that Friedrich had made himself before they left for Floriana. Now, this bit is interesting. So in all the English sources I read, including an article from the Smithsonian, there's like a four-part blog post from the Smithsonian that's interesting about this case. And they mostly mentioned the dentures and that they shared them. But then, Johanna, you told me that they're barely mentioned in your German sources yeah. and that if the sharing is mentioned, the sharing of dentures, it's always stated as not verified and possibly just, you know, salacious rumors. So we don't know. Could be fact, could be a rumor. There are definitely steel dentures out there. Like, if you look them up, it's a thing. So it's possible. And he seems like the kind of partner that would make you share his dentures. I find it so interesting, the difference between uh, the German and the English sources there. But to be honest, I can see them do that. Yeah. I, I yeah. can. I, he, would, he wouldn't even have to force her, I think. I think she would love to use his dentures. Maybe he was even annoyed that he had to give her his steel dentures. Who knows? Mm. Might be very well just one of the many lores and rumors that surround this case. It might be. So much drama. And we're going to get to all of it. It's great. So Dora and Friedrich continue on their life on the island. She's weak and he is dissatisfied with her and everything she does. This is, this is my life story. What's even happening? All right. So he is under the impression that he has to be strict with her to harden her as he despises weak and frail women. Maybe he should have picked somebody without an autoimmune disorder, just throwing that out there. But I think that they fought a lot, and we read in some sources that he did beat her whenever he got really angry. I think he was a... he just seems like a misogynistic sadomasochist to me. Uh, I don't think that's too far-fetched, but I, I, I wouldn't say that he's a misogynist per se. I think he rather despised most people, no matter their gender. Like, he viewed most people as very mm. weak and as intellectually inferior. Yeah, so, you're probably yeah, right. Judging from his character as far as we know it. And then also them being on an isolated island. I think if you don't really totally work together as a team, like I can imagine being on a remote island with my husband, but not 
because we love each other so much, which we of course do, but because we always work as a team. And I think that's the most important thing to just click, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I never picture myself in a castaway scenario. Never. I always do that. I would love it. <laughs> no. Well, I've told everyone that if it happens, just eat me. I'll knit up some fishing nets for everyone, and then I volunteer as tribute. I've got plenty of meat on my <laughs> flanks. I looked it up. People don't have light and dark meat like turkeys and chicken. We're just red meat like cows, so yeah. you're welcome. Yeah, but I'd be useless. I can't eat anything. Without my meds, I'm a goner anyway, so really, don't waste any resources on me. <laughs> All right. So letters exist from both Dora and from Friedrich, letters that they would write home and that would be taken by passing ships to get them on their way. And guess what? Friedrich's family at home were shocked about the way he wrote about Dora. There was no kindness, no softness, no emotion. He only talked about discipline, willpower, and how they had to conquer this place. And he complains about her and about her weak body and her illness. That's so rude. He's so rude. I know. Because he knew. He knew that she was... You know what? I think maybe he took her because she was having multiple sclerosis. Like, he wanted to prove that he could make her better just by telling her to use her willpower. And that's why he was so disappointed in her. Because obviously he didn't do anything wrong. It was her because she was lacking willpower. Yes. Like, he took her, first of all, because she really adored him absolutely and followed him on everything. And because he could prove something with her. That's my theory. Yes. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think that's a really solid theory. I agree. What Dora and Friedrich didn't know at first, that somehow their story and some of the letters had made it into the newspaper. And people were absolutely fascinated. They absorbed every little detail about the modern Adam and Eve. Not only German newspaper, but internationally. Oh, yeah. They read about the fact that Dora and Friedrich ran around naked all the time and that they were only wearing thigh-high boots to be protected against the thorns. The two islanders only realized this when a cargo boat dropped mail and some German newspaper and they felt so betrayed. They hate the fact that they've been portrayed as weirdos, you know, as some kind of freak show out in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. And they also feared that their forgotten spot under the sun would not be so forgotten for much longer. And we are now in January of 1932. The couple has been living on Floriana a little bit over two years, and the expedition ship Valero 3 is approaching. The ship belonged to the American millionaire George Allen Hancock. He was the owner of the Rancho La Brea Oil Company, the La Brea Tar Pitch, which he gifted to Los Angeles later on. Uh, he was the vice president of Los Angeles Hibernian Bank president of the Automobile Association of Southern California, treasurer of the Los Angeles Symphony Association. Uh, He played cello at the Los Angeles Symphony Orchestra as well. Uh, He developed Hancock Park and the Santa Maria Ice and Cold Storage Plant. He owned the Santa Maria Valley Railroad and so on and so on. He was an explorer, philanthropist, researcher, and he was a supporter of arts and science. I have no idea, though, if he is in any way related to the famous John Hancock, one of the founding fathers of the United States of America. Yeah, I'm not sure that he was. I looked into it a little bit, and I know his family goes back to New Hampshire, but I'm not really sure if he was related or not, but he was definitely a Renaissance man. So our Hancock, George Allen, he had the plan to take his motor vessel, the Valero 3, on several maritime research expeditions, and one of those took him to the Galapagos Archipelago, where he and his group of 20 men wanted to collect and document rare specimens. But first, they decided to take a look at the nudist Germans on Floriana. So the crew, including a cameraman, landed on the island and made their way to Frito. Again, 
Frida with a D. There, much to the ship crew's surprise, they did not encounter two naked weirdos, but instead found two highly educated misanthropic hermits who are also maybe naked a lot of the time, allegedly. <laughs> so, also with the, it's funny because when you said earlier they walk around naked except for thigh-high boots, that, that sounds kind of sexy. Like, I'm just walking around naked except for my thigh-high boots. But I think you have to picture those, like, waders that you wear when you go fly fishing that come up to your thighs yeah, and then like over that. your shoulders with straps. Like, welly legs. Yeah. Super sexy. So, yeah. So, Friedrich and Dory, they're happy to show them around. Friedrich proudly explains and demonstrates all of his contraptions, shows them the tools, their primitive shower, and all of it is on film. You can see some of this footage in the 2013 documentary, The Galapagos Affair, Satan Came to Eden. That sounds good. So, so far, we haven't found the footage on YouTube, but photos do exist, and there is footage of the third visit of the Hancock expedition to Floriana in 1933. All right, so they film everything, and there's a lot of oohs and ahs over everything that they've accomplished. And once they're done in Frito, the crew invites them over to the Valero 3. And surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, Dora and Friedrich are super excited and gladly accept the invitation. Yeah, I guess even if you're tired of mankind and move to the end of the world, where you want to live all alone on a remote island, you're kind of excited when other humans show up as long as they leave again after a while. Right? Exactly. So what's that saying about house guests and fish? <laughs> Start to smell bad after three days? The two Germans join the crew on the ship, and they are welcomed on board with classical German music. Now remember, Hancock, he was this modern-age Renaissance man who did everything. He was even first chair in the symphony orchestra playing cello. And he used to play cello on board his ship that he used for research on rare animals. This, is, this guy's great. We he like does him. It all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he can do it all. So classical music is playing, and Dory gets all sentimental, and she begins to tear up. Maybe she's remembering her ex-husband, the man who didn't pull all of her teeth out with garden tools, and who's probably waking up in a real bed and taking a hot shower. Who can say? But guess what? Friedrich doesn't like it at all. He's really embarrassed by Dory's display of emotions, and therefore begins a lecture on the psychological effects of classical music. Ah. <sighs> <sighs> We know all of this because of the ship's log and an entry by John S. Garth, the entomologist on board the Valero 3. When it's time to leave, Hancock asks the couple for anything they need. Is there just, just name it? Do you need anything? We can help you out. And Friedrich says they have everything they need, but they wouldn't mind just a bit of oil for his lamp so that he can continue to write after dark. Of course, that's what he asked for. <laughs> He has to because he has to show how superior he is. Mind over matter, you know, uh, chocolate, mm. sugar, cheese, no thanks. That's too trivial. Just some lamp oil for my writing would be super. <laughs> right. But of course, Hancock doesn't let them leave without cooking oil, chocolate, rice, soap, a stove, and a Winchester rifle. And guess what? They were happy to take all of those gifts with them. Oh, please. I read that they were always happy to receive some gifts and supplies from passing ships. Of course. Of course they were. Yeah. If they were on an isolated rock in the middle of nowhere, if somebody drops me a piece of chocolate, I would put up a statue in their name. Right? There's no need to play coy. I'm not even going to check that chocolate for razor blades. <laughs> I'm just going to gum it. Immediately. <laughs> So, while Dora and Friedrich were hospitable with the crew of the Valero and others who had just passed by, they were also very clear on their stance of others settling on the island. They didn't want it. 
they wouldn't accept it, and there would be absolutely no way of them forming any kind of society with other settlers. They went there for the purpose of being alone and finding peace and solitude. And even though other people had read about Dora and Friedrich and followed in their footsteps seeking a new life on the Galapagos Islands, none of them had moved to Floriana. And now it's August 1932 and Dora and Friedrich are looking out at the sea and they spot a schooner heading in the direction of Floriana towards Black Beach. But what the two German settlers don't know yet, not all of the people on board of this ship will leave Floriana again because this schooner brings three new settlers, just like them from Germany. Three people who had read about the German doctor and his female companion and they wanted the same. But their arrival was just the beginning of the end for Dora and Friedrich because not even two years later... Tragedy will strike Floriana. But guess what? This story is too good to tell it quickly and leave out so much of the things that make it so intriguing. So therefore we will stop here for now and we will be back next Wednesday with the second part. And then you will hear all about the new arrival on Floriana and how more would come and about how people disappeared and died. Yeah, this story is bananas. You can eat bananas with no teeth pretty easy, I bet. Uh, they also seem to have bananas on the island. I'm sure I saw a video of Friedrich cutting down a banana tree. Oh, all right. <laughs> well, that's it for this week, story-wise. I can't wait to tell them the rest of the story. It's really... It's something. It's pretty wild. Yeah. yeah. You know what I keep meaning to ask you about is I think we need just a quick, brief segment here where, where we have like dog corner, because I haven't asked how Jam and Leela are recently. How are Jam and Leela? They are good. Jam had been neutered. Last yeah. week, Monday, uh, and he's such a good boy, really. He's I either running around onesie. with his little onesie oh. or with his collar, like this blow-up collars, and he never complains, and he, yeah, he's really, it's going well, and he's gonna get his stitches removed on Friday. Oh, that's great. And Leela was a little bit, um, she hated the the collar, you know, this cones, that they usually the cone get. of shame. Yeah, yeah, and Jem came with that from the vet, and Leela started snapping at him, and yeah. Oh, and baby. she didn't. The first night she didn't sleep in the same room with us. She slept in the entrance. Oh right. Mm hmm. And yeah, but after two or three days, it got better. <laughs> She's okay now. Good. Good. So how's Opus? He's good. He's good. He's doing well. It's his. It's his birthday today, actually. Uh, really. Yeah, he is 22 weeks old today. Yeah, he's good. He started doing this thing now. He can get into bed with us all by himself. So he had been sleeping in his crate, and then he'd get into bed with us at 6 o'clock in the morning on the dot, 6 a.m. sharp. He would come with his tail wagging and try to get into bed. But now he can get up on his own. And then he started doing this thing where I wake up every morning the last four or five days. And this morning I actually woke up in the, while he was in the process of, of getting into position. So what happens is I wake up and he is usually my, I sleep on the left side of my, the bed and my right arm will be out stretched and his head is on my shoulder and he's facing me. So his little doggy lips are like right, like breathing into my nose. Um, and then he's got an arm that crosses over and he like hugs me across my middle with his paws. And this morning I woke up because he was he like army crawls into position. He's like slowly scooching up the bed to get <laughs> his head on my pillow. <laughs> He's a sweet baby. He's it's um, cute. Jem is way less subtle. He just stands there and demands. To <laughs> just demands it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
No, Opus is very like he tries to be sneaky, but he's enormous, so it doesn't really <laughs> doesn't really work. And uh, yeah, he's a good boy. We're gonna take him to the pet store tonight to pick out some treats. So, all right. Well, I'm glad to hear Jam is doing well. What is your something good this week? My something good this week are heating pads. I know, I know, it's super trivial, but they're such a great relief for me. They're so good. <sighs> the the upcoming colder seasons, you know, since my early twenties, I suffer from severe back pain, like unable to move back pain and thank god it's only from my muscles uh, not from my spine i always whine to any how doctors here never want to prescribe muscle relaxants but i do stretch and do my exercises my husband always tells me what exercises to do and i do them for a while and they always help and then i get lazy again and then i don't do my exercises so yeah heating beds so good just this morning i was in so much pain i was completely stiff i couldn't even bend down to put the harness on gem and leela and then mm. i pop on a heating pad and an hour later i'm pain free and i can stretch and bend heating pads are the best oh yeah also maybe some of you wondered if i returned to running i did stop after the whole corona thing started everything felt so overwhelming then mm. my dad passing away and i was just so weak but this week i started again because i really need to do something for me to feel better so yeah, running. Yay. Yay. That's great. No, I'm happy for you. I'm, I will not be running, but I will cheer you on. And uh, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of heat. When we, we got a hot tub when we had to get rid of the downstairs bathroom. Our bedroom is on the down ground floor too. And originally we had this big old clawfoot tub, but we needed to put in a more mobility friendly walk-in shower. And that only hard thing was I used to take a really hot bath sometimes twice a day, depending that heat, it just helps so much. Yeah. When you come visit, you'll love it because I have heating pads plugged into like behind the sofas because they're hard to plug in. So I just keep them there all the time, plugged in and turned off and ready to go. Yeah. Heating pads and water bottles, hot water bottles everywhere. My something good this week is I went out not once, but twice for a meal with my family. Yay. And it was awesome. It was really good. And our neighbor babysat for Opus, who was a good boy, which was great. So now I have officially left the house twice in six months for something other than infusion and labs. And I'm not going to lie, it feels pretty good. Oh, we also watched the best terrible movie. It was called All About Steve with Sandra Bullock and Bradley Cooper. Have you seen it? Nope. It's terrible. It's really, it's, it was so bad and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. We were all cackling by the end. It's, um, <laughs> if you just need something ridiculous, it was a delight. And making Paul watch Alias, which he had never watched, uh, and it's when I had fallen into my own Bradley Cooper fandom. But yeah, it's a really bizarre movie and, um, kind of a delight. <laughs> Although I kept laughing at really inappropriate, like things that weren't supposed to be funny, I was laughing really hard at. So, <laughs> yeah, if you just need like an hour and a half of ridiculousness, all about Steve. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to us once again. And please, please, please write us a review. And if you're going to complain about Johanna's accent, she is Austrian, not German. So, please get your facts right. <laughs> That's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. Ask Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, big difference. Also, we are co-hosts. We are equal partners in life and in this podcast. And so, yeah, <laughs> please listen to more than one episode before you leave a review, maybe, and then leave one. We'd love that. It would make our day. Also, come join our Facebook group. Search for Fresh Hell Murder. I know people might ask themselves, why are we always pushing the, the Facebook group so hard? Because honestly, it's the best way for us to communicate. And we love the place and we love to hang out 
with our hellions. It's the only place on Facebook that I spend any real time now. Yeah. It really is. I Yeah, it's just great. And it's politics-free. It's drama-free. It's a really interesting group of people from all over the world. So come join the Facebook group. Say hi. If you were in our Facebook group, you would know that we also have now a member who has a pet squirrel and she made like a martial arts costume for him, which was adorable. It's amazing. Tell your squirrels we said hi. Yes. <laughs> and your dogs and your wallabies and your axolotls. We have like almost all the pets already. We love them all. Yeah, we really do. We love them all. Very much. We miss them. You can visit our website, www.freshalpodcast.com, for all the other information you might need or want. And until next week, if you're going through hell, keep going, but not to Galapagos. <laughs> Tschüss. <laughs> Bye. Bye.